so glad that you're here and I'm excited for what God's going to do today. We're talking this month about breaking a poverty mentality. And this morning, I'm going to be speaking about the scarcity mindset. Now, if you go online, there's, there's a ton of, of materials written about this now because people are finding out that there is a truth to having a mindset that limits us by believing that we're less than or have less than. But we're not going to be talking about the things that you would normally read online or things like that. We're going to be looking at it from the point of view of the original manuscript that talks about scarcity and abundance, and that's the Bible. So let's begin with our first few verses, and then we're going to break it down and make it um, applicable to ourselves. So this is from the Apostle Paul, writing by the Holy Spirit. He says, in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. Now, just we, we realize that when, when Jesus Christ walked on the earth, he wasn't half man and half God. He was fully God and fully man. And so this is what the Lord is talking about here. All the fullness of God in human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ. Now I have been meditating on that truth for the last several months. That I am complete because of my union with Christ. Who is the fullness of God. And when that understanding takes hold of you, it changes everything. It really does. Now we read on in 2 Peter, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things, how many things? All things that pertain to life and godliness through knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Now, Granting to us all things doesn't mean that we don't go to school, doesn't mean that we don't get our education, doesn't mean that we don't work hard at our jobs, have families. It just means that God has granted to us through his son everything that we need to accomplish the purpose that he's called us to. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at seven characteristics of a scarcity mindset. Because before I started researching this and studying the scriptures, I honestly thought, man, I, that's, I'm going to be teaching this for everybody else because I don't really have any scarcity mindset. I mean, I, I believe in what the Bible says about abundance, and I believe that God has provided. But as I went through the weeks and months leading up to this, the Holy Spirit would show me that scarcity that's a belief of lack. That's not understanding what God has provided for you. And I see that I am riddled with a scarcity mindset. I have a, a, a group of women that I mentor on Tuesdays. And one of the things that we, we say to one another when, as we're talking, sometimes we'll point out, that's a scarcity mindset. So we're used to calling it out in other people. But when I saw it in myself, it was quite shocking. It was very shocking. So let's look at some of the characteristics so we can bring this home. A deeply rooted sense of inferiority. Now as a counselor, I see this, this one fact, this factor affects a whole lot of different things. It affects how we see ourselves. It affects what we believe we can accomplish. It affects our potential, what we believe we can, we can, how far we believe we can go. 
with the education that we have, with the advantages that we have, this deep-rooted sense of inferiority tells you that you are unlovable. No matter how much affirmation you get from your spouse, you feel unlovable. And this started, of course, as a child from someone that you respected and looked up to, made you feel that you were inferior, that you were not enough, perceived inadequacies. I don't have resources. This mentality is telling you, you don't have resources to help anybody else. You need to, you, you've got, what you've got is just enough for you, but not enough to give to someone else. Not enough to reach out and help someone else. This person with this mentality that's influenced this way tells himself, I'm not very capable. Uh, yes, that person's capable and that person, people like them and that person. But me, I, I, I'm, I don't know how to do a lot of things. This, with this mentality, you end up shooting yourself in the foot a lot. Lack of money and resources. This kind of person is a saboteur. They get opportunities and those opportunities are wasted. Because they don't see themselves getting ahead financially. They don't see themselves as being able to manage resources, as someone that could be a conduit to other people. Hoarding. I'm going to spend just a moment on this fact, this characteristics. Has anybody seen the show? And you know what I'm going to say. So a couple of you have seen it. Now, we don't have a cable network, but, but every time we go somewhere where they have it, I'll like turn it on. My husband can't stand the show. And I get some kind of weird, I don't even know what it is psychologically, but something I want to see how, how messed up somebody else is. It makes me feel better about myself. I'm just saying. So we had an incident that the Lord used this, this very week that's been going on for months and months where the Lord said, I see your business and this is you. This mentality that you're saying, well, now I'm going to be talking about my husband. Now, he's not here in this service, but he knows everything I'm going to say. So that's why he's not here again for the second service. <laughs> but we had a thing where this, this big truck, you know, a, a tree trimming service or whatever, well, you know, dump si dumpster-sized truck, so it's, we're not talking about like a 150 or anything. It would come and deliver. He must have made some kind of arrangement with my husband who talks to everybody that he sees everywhere and must have had some kind of arrangement to, to come and dump the, what I thought was mulch on the back part of our property. Most of you know we live on five acres, so we've got some land in the back that's getting more and more full with God's blessings. Things to be a resource to you. So this truck started coming and delivering mulch and thinking, okay, what's the downside of that, right? Mulch, everybody wants mulch. And so it kept delivering. Then I realized that they're not really delivering mulch. It's more like leaves and sticks and dirt. And so the months go by and this truck just keeps on delivering dump loads of, of this resource, this wonderful resource. So about a month ago, I start giving my husband the look. Okay, wives, I'm gonna out us now. Do we all know the look? You all have the look? If you don't know what, you can turn to your husband and say, do I have a look? And they'll show you what that look is. 
I started giving him the look, like, don't you think we have enough of this already? All right already. And he paid no attention, which I know your husbands always pay attention to you, but he paid no attention. So then I start with the under my breath liners. What are we going to do with all this? And you know, it's clutter enough. You know, just little blessings that I sprinkle along the way, the sunshine I bring to my husband's life. So he, he ignores me. So then I pull out the big guns. I pull out the guilt. That, that ticket usually is good for something. And so I've told him this, the true story of my childhood. Before we moved to North Carolina, we lived in Ohio. And this was back 55, 60, I don't know how many years ago, a long time ago, back when it was okay to operate a junkyard in your backyard. So this man had a bona fide legitimate business. He would sell fenders and old carburetors and, and pieces of things that other people didn't want that he thought he could sell. So whenever I would look, sit on the couch and look out, out of the window as a five-year-old, there was junk everywhere. I mean, priceless treasures that nobody wants everywhere. And it, it, it honestly did something inside me. He had a junkyard dog. His name was Rex. The whole thing. So I pull out my guilt card. Honey, you know it hits a chord in me when I see a lot of stuff cluttering up the, never mind that I've got stuff cluttering up inside. It's only important that if he doesn't clutter up the outside. So I said, you know, really upsets. It's starting to, makes me feel like I did when I was, of course he's looking at me like, haven't we been healed of this yet? You know, let, let's pray together. Let's get you a healing. And I'm like, so the guilt card didn't work. And the mulch or the blessings just keep on coming. Now, by now, I'm not talking about a, a pile of, I, I gave the dimensions in the first service and he came up to me afterwards. He goes, actually, because I said it's like three feet taller than me and the size of two of my cars. He goes, honey, it's actually more like 15 feet high, and it would not fit across on the stage. It's, so, so then I go, honey, I think you're, after studying, I go, I think you're a hoarder. I think we're hoarding mulch. And he looks at me like she has officially lost her mind. We're hoarding. We, don't, we can't possibly use all of this stuff. We can't possibly use it all. What are we going to do with all of it? I'm really bothered by the fact that this mulch is finally the Lord. I guess he'd had enough of listening to me because my husband wasn't. So the Lord had enough. And finally, he said just the other day, he goes, let him be. Let him be. What's that? What? Lord, I think I got a bad connection here. But what about everything should be done decently and in order. And there should be a thing for every place and everything in its place. Let him be. You see it as something different. He sees it as a resource. He wants to bless someone else with this. So I said, okay, okay. If you want the whole thing to topple on us and kill us in our beds at night, so be it. Okay, well, let's go. Let's go. Let him be. Let him be. I'm fighting the scarcity mentality that I have to figure everything out and I have to control everything. Hoarding. Insecurity regarding the future. What does the Bible say about the future? Who holds the future? 
in the palm of his hand? Who makes decrees that no man can undo and no man can rush? He tells us to occupy until he returns. Don't be afraid. Fear not, little flock, he says. It is my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Occupy, build. Don't be afraid of what's coming. Generational transfer and attitudes and expectations. This is a, a, a one that we talk about quite a bit because it's important. What's that old, old song? She gets it from her mama. I mean, I don't even know it's a song we should even be singing in here, but... Oh, my Jared, the worship leader saying, no, we should be singing. So forget that. But there are a lot of things that we get from our mama and that we get from our daddy and we get from our grandmama and we get from our granddaddy. Some of those things are wonderful. Some of those things are traditions that we want to pass down to our children. It gives them a firm foundation, an anchor for their emotional being. And then there are some things that we want to, what we call in the church, we want to cut those things off. There was a, a, a show a few years ago. I'm really, I'm really showing my colors today, all the things. But it was called Justified. Did anybody ever see it about an FBI agent that went and lived? Am I the only one? Come on, people. I know y'all saw that show. Don't be acting like you didn't see it. But anyway, he was an FBI agent that went up into the hills of either Kentucky or West Virginia. And he encountered the people that had lived there for generations upon generations. I knew a little bit about that for when I moved to North Carolina because it was a lot like that. There were, there were family clans and it was a big deal. But some of the stuff that gets passed on from generation to generation is not a good deal. Um, generational violence, uh, me versus us mentality. Uh, rebelling against authority. There's a lot that goes on that we don't want to pass down, that we should not want to receive. And some of the, these things that have been passed down come to us as scarcity. It's us against them. Us against them. And we'll finish this out here. Rationalizing inappropriate behavior. I was thinking about what I could use as an illustration for this. And I was reminded of, of the first two kings of the nation of Israel. It was Saul and it was David. God had appointed both of those men in succession to be the king. But there was a big difference between the two men. God told Saul, I'm ashamed that I made you king. And I'm taking that kingdom away from you. And then he told David, you will be the greatest and you are the greatest king Israel has seen. What was the difference? If you line up their sins, their inappropriate behavior, Saul's list was, was pretty short. It just said he disobeyed God because he was afraid of what people would say and do. Now, I don't know about you. But I think I could raise a finger or two or three to that. There have been times I knew I should have said something, didn't say it because of who I was around, knew there were things I could give, didn't give it because of who I was around. Then if you look at the, the things that David did, that the Lord had already said, don't do that. He had committed adultery. He had had murder. He had had a murder done. 
He had a child out of wedlock. There's a long list for David, but why? There was one thing, one difference, besides the sins they committed that made all the difference. Saul blamed someone else for what he did. So it was the people. They made me do it. If they hadn't have been acting that way, I could have obeyed you, God. David, when he was confronted with the things he had done, that's me. It's me. And if I think about it, God, I've, I've really sinned against you first and foremost. And I'm sorry. I repent. I'm sorry. That was the difference. So when we're thinking about mindsets that hold us back, the question I have for you is, who are you blaming for your behavior? Saul blamed other people. David didn't blame anyone. He said, I'm at fault. But who, if you think about the things that you do out of fear, out of anxiety, out of anger, out of loneliness, out of scarcity, because there won't be enough love. There won't be enough money. There won't be enough affection. There won't be enough friendship if I don't. Who are you blaming for behaviors that you do that you know you shouldn't be doing? I'm going to, because of time, I'm going to break it down to three commodities, things that we do, that we have in our life, things that we use, things that are a part of us. And I'm going to see if I can pull a thread that shows how scarcity affects these commodities in our life. And the first one is time. I want you to repeat after me, time is my friend. Time is my friend. How many of us feel like, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to get it done. All, all the other people my age are already out of college. Everybody else I know is already married. Everybody else I know has their own home. Everybody else, I don't have time. I've got to. We feel like time is scarce. But the word of God says there is a season for everything. There is time for everything. And until we change our mentality, until we change that thought that I don't have enough time, i got to make this decision now. So many times people make bad decisions because they're rushing from one problem to the next, from one calamity to the next trauma because they're, they're feeling like there's not enough time. I've got to do it now. If I don't do it now, the opportunity is not going to be here tomorrow. We're programmed to think about the bad news. In fact, uh, what's, what's the saying they have for news people? If it bleeds, it leads. If it bleeds, it leads. People want to hear the bad news. And even if there's something good to report in the stocks or whatever, the thought's always, but how long is that going to last? That's not going to last very long. We're programmed to want to hear the bad. Give me the bad news first. If someone would ask you, I've got some good news, Reese, and I've got some bad news. What do you want first? So many of us are like, give me the bad news first. How bad can it be? But the Lord is telling us the fullness, his fullness is in Christ. And Christ is in us. We have everything that we need. Okay. 
Replace the thought, read this together with me. I don't have, I don't have enough time with the belief I have more than enough time. And that's just crazy. You're just making up, you're just making up stuff. That's not even real. It is true. You do have time. Now, I'm not saying we don't have to organize and make the most important thing the most important thing. There are things that we can do with our time. We, we had had a couple that was coming over for dinner, and it was just a, there was a lot going on. And I remember feeling inside getting just tense. And, the, and my neck was just like in knots because of trying to get all this stuff, these different things done. And I had been working on this, and I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it out. I'm going to see. And as, so I went into the, to the restroom and shut the door just so I could be alone. And I said, I have time for this. I have all the time that I need. I have time for this. I've got time. It's all going to be all right. And I could feel some of the tension leaving my neck and leaving my shoulders simply because I stopped the thoughts that were making me get all riled up, rushing me around. I do have time. I have time for everything that I need to do. It was quite amazing. All right, quickly moving on, talent. Now, some of you might be here today that are just seeking, trying to find out who this God is, and, and you're just listening, and that's fine. So th for this, this, the rest of this, I want to I speak to believers, the people that are convinced that the word of God is truth that we can stand on and build on. This particular thing, talent, when we think about living our lives, we know that as Christians, we are carriers of God's glory. I know that sounds funny to someone else, but as believers, we know that we are carriers of God's glory. And that glory is revealed through our talent, through our gifting, as we say in the church, through our anointings, the things that are obviously and evidently things that we do well. In fact, the, Jesus said, the glory which you gave me, talking to God, the glory that you gave me, Father, I am giving to them. Your glory, I am giving to them. And when we think, I don't have any, I don't have any talent, I don't have any gifts, nobody, nobody wants me around, I can't really do anything, I don't have anything to contribute. What we're doing, in actuality, is robbing God of his glory. Because he placed those giftings in you. That gift to teach, that gift to build, that, that ability to counsel, that ability to sing, that desire that's in you to help, that's from God. And when you say, well, it's not anything, it's not a big deal, it's not as great as so-and-so's, we're robbing God of what he has placed in us. Let's hear what Jesus says. You, you are the light of the world. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty scary thought. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine 
before others so they may see your good works, give glory to God, your Father. There's that thought again. Your good works, you giving your talent, you showing kindness, you giving out of your abundance and your resources and your time, that gives glory to God. I want to show a quick video. Um, When we think about our talent, it's our contribution, right? When we we contribute anything, whether it's a smile, maybe it's just uh, inviting someone over for dinner, maybe it's taking care of someone's child, maybe it's taking care of a sick friend. When we contribute something, there's a connection that's made. That connects us with one another. And I want to show you, like I said, a quick video of what happened, what happens with Lovely. Yesterday we had Lovely Jr. If you were helping with that, could you just stand up really quickly? I mean, like really quickly, just stand up. There's a lot in the first service too. Look around, look around, look around. There were a lot of people in the first service. We had about 50 girls. Now that's, that's really amazing because... This is girls like that are eight and nine. This isn't 50 girls from Orlando of every age. This is a specific niche. We have that many girls here. And, and the people that taught and worked with these girls are, are young adults. But they have a contribution. This church is contributing to our community, to the poorest parts of our city. And I want to show this thing about our contribution that's making a connection with these girls. This is just the schools that we're in. This has nothing to do with all the productions and the lovely one days. This is one specific thing that we are contributing to our city, and we're making a connection with these girls. We'll see this quickly. Yes, we are touching hundreds of girls every week in this city because we have a contribution to make. They're not letting their light, they're not hiding their light under something. They're not saying, oh, I can't do it. They're stepping out there. They're putting themselves out there. And these girls, it's changing everything for them. It's not just something nice that we can do. This is changing their life. I know we throw that phrase around, you know, like, oh, I had, a, I had a, Thai, a new Thai restaurant. It changed my life. I mean, okay, yeah. This is really happening. All right, we quickly end with treasure. The Bible says that God so loved you, so loved me, that he gave. 
he gave. One of the worst things that having a scarcity mindset will do is to tell you that God is trying to keep something good from you. That he's trying to keep you from having fun. He's trying to keep you from living life. He's trying to rob you of joy. And that's simply not the truth. Generosity is now your truest nature because it's the nature of God. Being generous is God's nature. I looked up the, the original derivative of the word generous, and it's a Latin word that I won't try to butcher. But the Latin word means are, are generous, and it says it's of noble birth. Generosity comes from someone of noble birth. And it, it came in years, decades and centuries before with people that were in the privileged class and people that had the wealth. They would reach out and help people that were less fortunate, people that were not of that class. But it's, this, it's in, a, in a real sense, it's that way today. We are of noble birth because we are daughters and sons of the king. And it is now our true nature to be generous. And you might not feel like you are. You might not believe that there's something you have to give, but that's not true. That's a scarcity mindset because your true nature is now generosity. And God has filled you with talent. He's filled you with gifts. He's anointed you. He's equipped you. He said, I'm never going to leave you. I'll give you everything you need to accomplish what I've told you to do. That's generosity. That's our Father, and that's also us. I love that. The Lord God is our sun and shield. He gives grace, and he gives us his glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing. He will withhold no good thing. It's that mindset, those, those uh, condemning thoughts that tell you God isn't for you. God doesn't want to help you. God's not. He's just going to let you do whatever. No, God said, I will withhold no good thing for my sons and my daughters. No good thing. This same God who takes care of me, I, just very quickly, I love the Apostle Paul and all of his writings because you don't ever hear him say, and this is going to shock some people, you don't ever hear him say, I'm hungering after God. Nothing wrong with saying that, right? But you don't ever hear him say, I'm thirsting after you, God. God, I'm thirsting. And I thought that was kind of strange until I realized all Paul talks about is God's fullness in me. God's supplying every need that I have. He's not hungry and thirsting because he knows that God dwells in him and provides everything that he needs to accomplish a life of glory. Can I hear an amen? Can I see, if you can get a realization, God has already done it. You have to take hold of it and proclaim it as yours. You don't have to beg God for anything. He's already said, all that I have, I've given to you. Amen. All right. Um, would you stand with me, please? I'm going to have you read this scandalous statement, and you can debate it with me later. Not really, because I'm going to go have lunch, but we can at least read it together. When God's provision becomes my default and my dominant core belief, I will begin to see circumstances shift 
and align to reflect my renewed mind. That is truth. I was thinking, Pastor Aslan last week was talking about um, Peter, the, the apostle, and how he saw a man that had been crippled since birth, and he told the man to stand up. He said, you know what, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, basically saying, I don't have any money to give you, but I do have this, and this is what you really need. But you know what, later on, they did give silver and they did give gold because God supplies every need that we have. Sometimes the need that we have is for money, for our bills to be paid. And we go out and we work and we ask God to bless it. But sometimes the need that we have is for our heart to be healed, to know that, that, that we're not alone, to know that we have love to give and know that we're to be able to receive love. So such as we have, we give to people but that we have to know that God will supply the need that we have. He will do it. He will do it. He will do it.